Welcome to the latest edition of At The Flicks, your one-stop shop for movie news, interviews and reviews. In this show's reviews of Spider-Man Far From Home and Midsommar, we will be joined by blogger and film reviewer Darren. Then it is the movie review zone, where this month I take charge. After that, Steve is back to tell us what treats Cineworld Cinemas have in store for us. Greetings and salutations. My name is Jeff, and my main cinema interests are political and horror movies. This month I've been re-watching Frost Nixon, and lads have an idea for a quick-fire, incisive interview round aimed at the At The Flicks team. Hi, my name is Graham. My main cinema interests are sci-fi and comic book movies. This month has been more science fact than fiction with the 50th anniversary of the moon landings. There have been some fascinating documentaries in cinema and on TV. Hi, my name's Neil and I just like films, as you will see in the reviews section where this month I've seen more films than you two combined. Well done, Neil, for finding that lost Cineworld card (laughs) and learning how to use it all over again. Do you want some help finding yours, as you haven't seen much this month? Thanks, Neil. I have a new home for my Cineworld card, although you're going to find it painful if you continue. (laughs) Jeff, I'm a bit worried about your incisive interview comments. What do you mean? Well, people have been saying to me I sometimes avoid asking difficult questions in our interviews. And having watched the master Andrew Neil at work with that floppy idiot, I thought I would take a quick-fire round on you and Neil. I'm not sure this is a good idea. I know this is not a good (laughs) idea. Clearly something to hide there, Graham, so I'll start with you. Each month you say how much you don't like Mel Gibson, yet you're constantly talking about him on the show. Is this professed hatred just there to hide a love of the man, his films, and even his lifestyle? Gibson off. You know you make me read that news out because you are a movie sadist. All of my Gibson news is under duress, and that's under duress, not under address before you go there, Jeff. Am I responsible for your actions? <laughs> nice attempt at deflection there, though, Graham. Can you deny the fact that you told a story in our mid-month show about Mel portraying Santa Claus in an upcoming film? In these Brexit times, do we really want to scare kids with horror stories like that? I repeat again, it is your doing, not mine. I was only following orders. Ah, the Nuremberg defence. <laughs> I'm sure our listeners have made up their minds as to the truth. Let's turn to Neil. You are often referred to as the quiet one on the show. Why is that, Neil? Are you, in fact, in constant <laughs> awe of my movie opinions? <laughs> Lost for words there, I see. <laughs> Caught out by my line of questioning. No. No, sorry, Neil. You have to be quicker than that in this interview. Graham, gag him quickly. Whoop, 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 whoop. Thank you. No, it is because you never let me speak and always cut across me or cut me out. Let's turn this interview on its head. Jeff, you constantly bash Marvel movies, yet you have a Blu-ray collection of them. (coughs) Uh, No. Anyway, there's no time to answer, as we have a full show and we have to move to the first item. Graham? It wasn't a question. I just stated a fact. Uh, It's a question to me. I know, it's a difficult... Graham, it's, it's a difficult time uh, in this time. And, and enough, we got a full show. Graham, play that link music quickly. As the person who has watched the most films this month, it's only fair that I introduce this section of the show. Also, as an added bonus, regular listener Darren joins us for two of our reviews. Welcome, Darren, to the show. How are you doing? 
I'm doing very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Ah, no, you're more than welcome. Of course, you've got uh, your own online presence, haven't you? You've got a really good blog. I was reading what you sent me earlier about 1979, those films, The Warriors, I thought was great. I have never seen, nor will I ever watch King Frat, I'm afraid to say. But your your review and article on The Warriors was brilliant. So where can our listeners find that blog, Darren? Okay, well, if you go into a website called halfguarded.com, you actually start a life as a uh, MMA review website or talk about all mixed martial arts but it's kind of evolved into a bit of a pop culture so we sort of talk, talk about movies and things like that and and i do a lot of the movie side i have my own blog on there called couch zone well i write about lots and lots of different subjects my, my main thing is i've been going through every single uh, year from since the 70s and picking three films from each year that basically mean a lot to me uh, not necessarily the uh, the best films but the ones that basically are sort of when I look, I sort of had a key impact on me or sort of have, I've got something interesting to say about them. And I also choose one um, really weird film, either something that I absolutely hate or something that is basically, um, shall we say, or politically dodgy these days, as, as some films can be. But basically just find something like really, really weird that I sort of like, um, you know, just to add in there as well. I started from the 60s and I'm now on to um, 2002 quite a lot to go through they are really good i would highly recommend them so what was your favorite year darren or don't you have one i would say if i was to pick a um a period it would definitely be the uh, the end of the 70s because that was when there was just so many interesting movies coming out and um, blockbusters was were just sort of starting up so you had films like jaws and star wars and that sort of thing and like you just mentioned in 1979 there was like you know a film like the warriors that was sort of like a low budget but sort of like you know really interesting movie that became a cult classic as it was so i, th- I think basically the, the period that i have the most fun um, writing about was definitely the uh, the mid 70s I did love your article, though, again, I wouldn't ever watch King Frat. I loved your article, how it was the talk of the schoolyard and everybody wanted to see it, and you managed to persuade your parents to rent it out on video. Yeah, King Frat's one of those that some people know of it and, and some people don't. If you haven't, it's kind of a... Um, if you remember National Lampoon Animal House, yeah. it's kind of a very, very low-budget version of that, but really, really even worse taste um it, is, it has to be seen to be believed it's quite difficult to get a hold of nowadays it's almost like a grindhouse type film but if you read my article that would really explain it it was one of those that became like a legendary on, on my um on the schoolyard it was a film basically because it had two scenes it had a farting competition the lot of students were passing by in a car and were mooning people as, as they went past which um you know as a 11 year old that sort of humor just that uh, really intrigued me and uh, you put Rocky too as the best of the Rockies. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I always think that Rocky 1 and Rocky 2, you can basically watch back-to-back as just one long epic. It, the two of them just sort of sit so well together. But I think Rocky 2, there's just something more about that, there's, um, especially the fight. I think the fight at the end of Rocky 2 is, is basically the, the best of all the Rockies. I remember watching it for the first time and being really... Um, almost like a, like watching a pro wrestling match. I was really sucked into it and just absolutely loved it. But yeah, Rocky 2 is my favourite of them. But like I say, I think Rocky 1 and Rocky 2, you can also almost watch that as just like, you know, one epic sort of saga on its own. 
I agree totally. I thought Rocky Two was far better, and and it felt more real. I thought because you know when they landed punches, it you know they'd obviously worked out the camera moves and the camera shots from Rocky One, and they got obviously they got an awful lot more money with Rocky Two as well, and it, so it just felt much more polished and much more like you were right in the ring with them, and it was all very very well done. The second film, great film, great film. So nineteen seventy nine again, isn't it? Yeah, it opened in this country in Feb 1980 for some bizarre reason. It was a summer 79 film in the States, I think. You might prove me wrong on that one, Darren. I'm not sure if it opened for Thanksgiving in the States or a summer, but we definitely didn't get it till early 1980 because that's when I saw it. And Alien as well, my film of the year then. September 79. 79, brilliant. You would have been too young to get in for that Alien film, I'd imagine, Darren. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Actually, now you mention it, I do remember wanting to go see Alien and not understanding why I couldn't. Because the idea of a sci-fi film that was basically not for kids just didn't compute with me. When I, when I saw a, a sci-fi film, I thought of Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica, Battle Beyond the Stars. The idea that there'd be a film with aliens in it that wasn't for children, I, I just couldn't comprehend why I couldn't watch it. Yeah, that's an it's interesting point. Yeah. yeah, because we were all late teens at this stage. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that wasn't, wasn't a problem. So that wouldn't have even registered with us. But that, that's a very fair point. I suppose for us, something like Clockwork Orange and yep. The Exorcist. Yeah. Let's kick off with these reviews. Neil, over to you. To start our reviews, we kick off with the films that all three of us have seen. Darren joins us for our first of these, the latest superhero feature, Spider-Man Far From Home. I am going on vacation. Heads up. Nick Fury's calling you. I don't really want to talk to Nick Answer Fury. Answer the phone. Why? Because if you don't talk to him, then I have to talk to him. I don't want to talk to him. You sent Nick Fury to voicemail? I gotta go. You do not ghost Nick Fury. I think MJ really likes me. You're a very difficult person to contact, Spider-Man. This is Mr. Beck. We could have used someone like you on my world. New world? Beck is from Earth, just not ours. The snap to our hole in our dimension. You're saying there's a multiverse? We have a job to do, and you're coming with us. There's got to be someone else you can use. What about Thor? Off-world. Captain Marvel. Unavailable. But I'm just a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Bitch, please, you've been to space. Eight months after the events of Avengers Endgame, Peter Parker is among a group of school students who travel to Europe. Instead of education and relaxation, Peter has to become Spider-Man to battle a group of elemental creatures. He is helped by another superhero called Mysterio, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, in this challenge. But just who is Mysterio? Darren, as our guest reviewer, did this latest superhero feature work for you? Yes, it did. I really enjoyed this. I mean, one of the things that I really love about the Spider-Man movies is that they do something that a lot of the Marvel movies don't, and that is that they go back to the whole superhero trope of the secret identity. 
Because in the Marvel Universe, most of them, they don't actually... Everyone knows who they are. They know who Captain America is, Steve Rogers. Whereas with Spider-Man, he still has that thing where he has to keep his secret identity and if he this has to change to Spider-Man, he's got to find somewhere to get away from his friends and sort of like, you know, change into his outfit and everything. And he has to basically sort of like, you know, he has the thing where he's trying to balance his school life and his personal life with being a superior. And I actually like that. I really did enjoy this. I like the fact that they actually... Um, managed to bring all the stuff about what had happened in um, Infinity War and in Endgame with the, um, with the dusting and, and showing you basically how uh, all those people who, um, you know, came back, you know, what the effect that that actually had on them, you know, they couldn't just, you know, start their lives again. You know, but, like they were sort of going back to homes which were basically being like sort of like sold to other people and everything. So I actually like that it actually acknowledged that. But yeah, I, I really did enjoy this film. I have to say I didn't like it as much as some of the other Marvel movies. I didn't like it as much as um, Home, uh, Homecoming, for example. And I did think that um, some of the action scenes were probably a little too big and frantic. One of the things I like about Marvel movies is you can always tell what's going on. You can always follow who's doing what and see what's happening. Whereas in this one, there were quite a few times when he'd be battling like these sort of drones and then he'd defeat them. And I'd be watching thinking, I actually don't know how he did that. It just happened so fast and everything. Probably enjoyed more the stuff of him being Peter Parker with his friends and that sort of like small part of the story with him sort of going over to Europe and um, trying to get with the, uh, the girl who he really liked, uh, Mary Jane. And, uh, you know, so so that bit I sort of liked probably a bit more than the action thing. But uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, I actually think, was a really good villain. And I thought he actually sort of brought something different than the previous ones. I agree. I, I really enjoyed it. I also thought that it was very funny. You know, yes, there was loads was. and loads of great humour in it. I thought it was well paced and well put together. I did think the big battle at the end, as you say, on Tower Bridge, where he's whizzing among all of those drones and things, and then he lands on the bridge, and then he, he picks up a, a, a sign, so he has like a shield and a hammer and, yeah. and all of that. I thought the end thing was probably too much, as you said. I agree. The film, I thought, was great. It's the end credit thing where it bring back J. Jonah Jameson. Spoiler, if you really haven't seen it, please, why? Um, <laughs> but they bring back J. Jonah Jameson and he reveals his true identity. And I'm just thinking, well, that's what I like about him. Mm. I mean, he isn't one of those, uh, the elder superheroes. It's a 16-year-old kid and yep. he's doing what 16-year-old kids do. Yeah, I like Tom Holland. This painfully awkward relationship with MJ was hugely funny. Yeah. He is a kid. Yes. And he's useless at talking to girls. It worked really well. He's a school kid and he has to deal with dangerous situations. I like the way they, they've done it with those two films. As uh, Darren says, I don't think it's as good as the first one. And there's, you know, he has to take responsibility for being the... I mean, there's a loose bit at the beginning where they say, oh, nobody else is around. You're the Avenger, which yeah. is a bit silly, really. But um, And I, yeah. I like that because he went, you know, well, I'm just, I want to go on holiday with my friends. And, yeah. and of, course, of course, he's a 16-year-old. Fury says to him, bitch, you've been to space. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah and the special that. effects are extraordinary. Yeah. Absolutely extraordinary. And I was looking back uh, this morning at some of the earlier Spider-Man films just to get ready for this. And the other thing that I really liked was they've really got 
the Spider-Man going through New York effect mm. perfect now. In the Tobey Maguire days, it was a bit janky. It didn't quite flow exactly, but now he can just whiz through, especially when he took MJ. Yes. And all her hairs. And her hairs all out. out. And that was very teenagerish. (laughs) Never doing that again. Never doing that again, yeah. (laughs) Darren, what do you think? Agree with everything that's been said? I haven't started yet, as you'll probably notice. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, The one thing that I did... I think it does open up possibilities when we're talking about the, the reveal that his uh, identity has been revealed is. In, in the comics, the, there always used to be a thing that Spider-Man was a bit of an outlaw. Yeah. And that this sort of like the, because he was a, a vigilante and that the police would be, at times would be like sort of, you know, hunting him as much as they yeah. were sort of the villains. Yeah. And I think possibly where they could go from this in the next um, film is possibly if he uh, is basically, that he's on the run and that he has to basically sort of go into hiding and everything. So I think that creates some um, possibilities as well. Yeah, One maybe. thing I will say that sort of irks me just a little bit is I don't like how technology-based he is, the Spider-Man, because he's, he's almost like another Tony Stark now. His suit's got all these sort of like extra gadgets. I mean, it's always had like gadgets, but... The fact it's almost like you, you watch me, you think it could get away with doing all this stuff just with the suit and not necessarily with his spider powers. So I, I, I kind of would like him to go back to a bit more back to basic, like at the end in Homecoming, where he had to basically just use his webs and, and sort of like his skills and everything. I mean, that's just, 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 that's just my take on it. But that's where I would you know, like it to go. And so he has a bit more sort of down to earth without having access to all this like, you know, satellites and robots yes, and everything. He- and, and, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the virtual reality to help him out. Yeah, when he started using uh, um, Tony Stark's equipment to start building a, a, new, a suit new suit or whatever, yeah. yeah. Now, that's a really interesting point. Uh, that's why I liked the scene in London, because he went back to his original spider outfit. So he had the, yeah. the original Steve Ditko uh, suit on, the black and the red, uh, with the little webbing under his arms. And I thought, yeah, we're back to the good old Spidey days. But... Even then, he'd had to design that. When he got to London, I was waiting for them to destroy yet another bridge, as every <laughs> single film says, London, oh, which bridge are you going to destroy well, now? Yeah, exactly. I think the best word the three of you have come up with so far is irked, because this irked the hell out of me. <laughs> it is quite honest. The only thing I agree with anything that's been said by all three of you is Homecoming is a better film mainly because it had two strong actors in it, Robert Downey Jr. and Michael Keaton. It doesn't work. The cast are awful. Tom oh, Holland is grief. an awful actor. It rehashes a villain from Iron Man 3, in essence, the whole plot of somebody that Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man character is upset, is trying to get their revenge back on them all. The best thing about all of those little supervillain group that they had was Peter Billingsley in there, the kid from um, A Christmas Story. This has no wit. It's constant CGI battles are boring. And it's a really sad fact when the best thing of the film, the two sequences in the end credits, are better than anything in the film that comes before it. It is a sad addition to a series that, quite honestly, has outlived its time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, blimey. Feel free to come in, Darren, on that. Well, I mean, the thing is that the Marvel films, you know, they're not going to be for everyone. And to be honest, I mean, obviously I've listened to your shows quite a lot, so um, I kind of expected that. um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. The films are for most people, just not Jeff. 
Yeah, it doesn't work for me. I love the DC films, Darren. I, I like Shazam. <laughs> I like Aquaman. I just marvel. It's just like they've had three films this year and all three struck out for me. Captain Marvel was the best, but only because of Brie Larson. Endgame was just like, you know, it's now the most successful film ever made. And all the holes in the plot are going to become very apparent very quickly to everybody. And this is shocking. Well, my view, Jeff, is that you don't understand it. <laughs> you know, it's it's simply not for you. I mean, there is a deeper underlying story in this movie, and that's the subplot of perception versus deception. Uh, and this is set up when Peter loses his spider senses, or what his gorgeous Aunt May calls his Peter Tingle. It's the loss of this key perception, and it is what in the end he has to rely on to defeat Mysterio. This is a callback to the early days of Spider-Man and the fact that he's in the Steve Ditko Spider-Man suit when he restores his spider senses by blocking out his sight. It's just a wonderful callback to the original Amazing Spider-Man comics. It's also a callback to The Wizard of Oz. There's big points about The Wizard of Oz in this film that I really, really enjoyed. You notice that the smoke effects... Uh, and the Doctor Strange-like power symbols that are used are all green, just like in The Wizard of Oz. And Frank, uh, and L. Frank... I, I think you find the brick road is yellow. At, no, no, he's the Emerald smoke. City, come on. And L. Frank Baum had people in the land of Oz wearing green glasses so that they would always think they were in the Emerald City, and that's in the actual book. It's not in the film. Though. And, of course, we all know that the wizard was also a charlatan, who used illusions until the curtain was pulled back, exposing him and his deception. And I just loved all of that a constant reference to here's Peter's perception, here's what he sees, and here's the deception that's going on behind the curtain. I just thought it was great. Do you know what I take out of all of that? Yeah. Kevin Feige's The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. <laughs> we pulled back the curtain and caught him out. No, you didn't. You just, you just, it's not aimed at you, Jeff. These are not for you. It's just like horror films aren't for me. Superhero films are not for you. Though I'm defensive, I'm not saying that anyone has to um, actually like Marvel movies. And to be honest, after 10 years, if, if you've not got them now, um, <laughs> you're not investing in them now, but then you never ah. are going to be. But the one thing I will say about them is just a couple of weeks ago, you um, you did a show about sort of how to save cinema and everything. And one of the things that I think that these sort of, that the Marvel does really well, and which is basically sort of vital to, to films is, it makes going to the cinema an event. Yeah. You know, the fact that you can have basically sort of midnight showings for people who want to see it first and those will be sold out. And also when you have sort of like these massive campaigns of Thanos demands your silence, don't spoil this for anybody else. Almost like the, the days of the, the when we, Agatha Christie did the Mousetrap play, where you used to tell people don't tell anybody the twist or anything. This is the sort of thing that sort of that cinema does need. It needs that sort of event movie. It needs something where people, something that sort of streaming cannot match. And whether you like them or not, and, and whether you sort of, you know, sort of disapprove of how much money they're making of the thing. This is the sort of thing that will keep cinemas going because it gets people going in there. Until it eats itself, I would say. I mean, I, I take your point. What I find fascinating is that the Disney streaming channel is going to feed off this and generate its own shows which link in with it. 
And that's going to be really interesting because that's good. That I looked at that this morning. They had all the big announcements from Comic Con, and I looked at this and I thought, okay, they've got the Hawkeye stuff. It's going to be a TV show spin-off, and but it's going to link back into the Marvel universe and all of this. And I thought this is going to get really complicated really, really quickly. And if somebody doesn't have a Disney subscription and they and they've missed the Hawkeye show, are they going to be feeling left out when they watch? a future Avenger movie. It's it's very, very complicated and very interwoven. Yeah, they've done it over the last 10 years with 22 movies, but <sighs> blimey, taking it onto TV and linking it all together, is, that's a lot of hard work for the writers. I would imagine that what they'll sort of try to do is what things like sort of Star Wars does with, with their expanded universe, because we have cartoon shows and everything yep, yep. all over novels. So almost like a thing that you, you don't have to actually read all those and watch the TV or shows to follow what's going on. But if you do watch those, it's kind of a bit more rewarding because there'll be little things that you sort of like, can sort of like, you know, see in there. Uh, but I think good point. They, good I, point. I do agree that they have to be smart and we have to make it so that the average cinema going will be able to go see Doctor Strange and just enjoy it and not be sort of like confused because of this big massive plot reference to stuff that's happened in the TV show. You know, yeah. that, that is something. But I would imagine they'll be, um, they'll be smarter than that. I hope so, yeah. So uh, am I safe to say... <laughs> Of the four of us, three really enjoyed this film yep. and one didn't. One didn't understand it. Yeah. One didn't understand it. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, don't worry, we'll keep taking you along, Jeff, you know. Yeah. Okay. And you can have a grumpy little moment to yourself yeah. there. If you like Marvel superhero movies, you'll like this one. If you don't, you won't. <laughs> Let's move on to our next review. After almost 50 years, that theme is still fantastic. As for the plot, Shaft Jr. has turned his back on the family's detective business, that is, until a close friend is murdered, and so he calls in his father and grandfather to help him solve the crime. Neil, is Shaft still a bad mofo, or is it time to draw the pension? Well... It's definitely for a specific group of people, (laughs) fans of the original series, and as such, it kind of fulfills that requirement. And as with Red and Expendables, there is space for ageing action heroes to come out and rehash all their old moves and banter. This is just another one. Sam Jackson's good, Jesse Asher less so. It was good to see Richard Roundtree again, and um, I'm afraid that's it. If Samuel Jackson's Shaft character had been white, it could have been me. Um, (laughs) It is interesting how this film, which was meant to be one of the big summer releases in the UK, because it flopped in America, Netflix say, right, okay, internationally, we're going to put it straight on to the Netflix streaming service. And there's a reason for that. It's not great. It's good. I oh, mean, come I, on. You know, we've spoken about Spider-Man Far From Home. Oh, That's come on. rubbish compared to this. Oh, this is a classic. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson's always great. Yeah, and he's obviously having loads of fun in uh, this And one. he is having fun, fun yes. Yeah. I mean, it's not the most PC one. It's brought our sensibilities being dragged back to the 1970s and to kind of, you know, that's what it was like. There was a film a few years ago called Undercover Brother, which is a, a takeoff of the Shaft films. And this is better than that. It could have been more so had they just played up the pastiche of it. The music veers between modern day to like 70s yep, and 80s. Exactly. Yep. Had it all been 70s and 80s hits, 
and Christopher Leonard's score, which is okay, but it's not Isaac Hayes. And it sort of played more to that and just set that period, even though it's modern day, I think that really could have made this film. But that doesn't mean that it's a good film. If they'd done it properly, it might have been a better film, is what you're saying. Yeah, a better film, and that's a fair point. But I still think there's enough here that's, that's just great fun. Okay, it it was fun, and there are bits in it, and it's nice to see Richard Roundtree again. It just is not that great plot some good action scenes and then a lot of downtime between it and it, it was a bit silly um, you know i didn't sort of think tap my fingers going come on when's this over i want to review it um i yeah was there's, there's some enjoyment in there but only because i'm a child of the 70s can i can i throw a trivia question at you? go for go it on by then. the way child of the 50s but let's go wrong <laughs> <laughs> what's the uh, age difference between richard drowntree and samuel l jackson i think about minus five Six years. Six, Six years. years. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, um, Eleven years out. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that that was quite good. I, one thing that really worked for me in this, and the plot is nothing that you wouldn't find on any cop show on TV back in the seventies and eighties, even up to now. You're made to think it's one group of people. Come the end of the film, it's another group of people. Yeah. yeah? So that's a standard plot. But what I really liked is. It makes you think it's the Muslims to start off with, and it sets all that up. And then the reveal, and this is a spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen it, so you might want to jump forward a couple of minutes. The reveal is it's the American military, and I think that is quite subversive, uh, quite a nice little... um, You don't think this will be on Donald's Netflix queue then? Not for that, and for the little Samuel L. Jackson sort of takeoff of Trump in one scene, which I thought was quite funny. Yeah. So, you know, I would love to have seen it in the cinema. I think it's entertaining. It's very funny. I, there were some great moments in it. I thought I loved the running gag of Samuel L. Jackson just walks across the road. He never looks yes, at traffic. He I just did. walks I, up. That was okay, very that funny. That was very funny. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then at the end, they're all they're doing, all doing it. it. And all dressed the same. Get out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and one of the other things which shows how much fun Samuel L. Jackson was having, there was a famous interview where somebody mistook him for Lawrence Fishbourne. Oh, and yes. Jackson that lost I... his shit. <laughs> so, and the fact that Jackson put that into this film, film yeah. shows how much fun he was having. There were some funny moments. Yeah, I there was. I thought the characters were, yeah. were very funny together. I thought the girl was wasted. She could have done a lot more. Yeah. But then it was just, it was very misogynist, the whole Yes. I didn't notice that. Oh. <laughs> no, funnily enough. Yeah, it's a TV movie, though. It was but, definitely a TV well, movie. Well, see, if this had been in the cinema as an action film, it's actually a lot better than John Wick 3. Oh, oh please. please. Oh, come on. This says fun, good characters, and it's a laugh from beginning to end. John Wick 3 is overblown, as we've already said, just have up we? its own ass. Have we said it? I no, we, we haven't. Oh, right. no, we well, never, I'm saying it no. now. John no, Wick 3 no, is substandard. Only in your head. Good. Yeah. yeah. Only in your head. Samuel L. Jackson, he's the real Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> that's a good line. Oh, yeah, that's, that's pretty that's, good. Yeah, that's staying in. For me, I thought the um, it was a TV movie. Plot's very pedestrian, and the twists not really that great. Uh, so, so not my- much direction though. I, the camera was a very very poor. The camera work was terrible. Well, I that was lot- back to the seventies again, yes, isn't it? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> they're, they're hey, taking maybe it a bit it too was, serious. Maybe it was more clever <laughs> than I thought. Well, they, they tr- <laughs> if you ever seen the original Shaft movie, yes. There's a scene in that where, you know, he comes swinging in through the window. Yeah. And they sent that sequence up very, very nicely. They, in this. They did. That, that was really well done. So I, I guess my final question to you on this before we move on is, would you have watched this in the cinema? Well, I've got a Cineworld Unlimited card. so That doesn't maybe. mean you go watch it. There's and plenty I, and of I films. And I go and see a lot more films than you two this month. Yeah, so, oh, yeah, maybe I'm going to go on about that for a bit. <laughs> So yes, yeah, I might have done. I might have done. done. It's got Samuel L. Jackson in yeah, it. I, yeah, I, I would have. And so Richard Roundtree. The kid was terrible, though. I didn't think. Yes, the kid he was. Added anything. Yeah, and and I got to be honest, Regina Hall is fast becoming the most irritating actress on the planet. <laughs> what was this in night school? I'm sorry. Well, she was in the um, uh, Scream and that sort of stuff, wasn't she? Yeah. Well, I didn't notice her then. She's really standing out to me now and not in a good way. Another poor performance from her. She needs a better agent. Okay, well, that's Shaft. Let's move on to our next one. It's like another world. Tomorrow's a big day. Is it scary? What is it? It has special properties. (sighs) What am I going through? We just need to acclimate. I don't want to acclimate. I want to go. Absolutely not. What's happening? I don't know why you invited us. That's why you look so guilty right now, because you know. We only do this every 90 years. I was most excited for you to come. This was never one I was going to watch. Ariaster's follow-up to Hereditary is about a group of students who travel to Sweden to witness a remote cult perform a mysterious ceremony which happens every 90 years. Quite quickly, they learn they are in a very dangerous situation. Darren, did the horrors of the film work for you? They really did. It was one of the most sort of tense movies that I have seen for a, a long time. Right from the start, there was basically just this real sense of unease that the film was constantly uh, throwing at you. It was sometimes when they sort of, the, the sound would just go really, really loud. And then there was sort of have these like really weird camera angles, like when they were following this car along from like overhead and then it sort of turned around so it was upside down. Throughout the film, this like real sense of foreboding. For example, when they were planning this, um, this trip that they were going on, the, the guy who was taking them there was showing the young girl all these sort of photographs of their previous festivals. And then she sort of goes, oh, what's that for? and says oh that was the queen of the uh, the last festival and then it was sort of like uh-oh you know she, she's in trouble here sort of thing and it was just that was just this sense of foreboding you know the entire time i've got to say as well what i really enjoyed about this film being a horror film that sort of was different from many others is it was all set in the um, in the daytime you know the screen itself was like re- not just like regular daylight there was something really really bright about it you know normally when you sort of watch a horror film there's sort of all this sort of scary stuff happens like you know at, at night or in, in the dark and stuff like that and this it actually made colour feel really, really sinister. 
you know, when we sort of got to this sort of little sort of village and everyone sort of there all like sort of just like Morris dancers and we've got like the sort of, a, you know, the, the colourful flowers and everything. And it just, the whole thing just felt really sort of, um, you know, really, really creepy, really, you know, really fast. Yeah, I, I, it really did work work for me. But there wasn't a lot of sort of what I would call sort of like, you know, frightening moments. There were, there were a couple of jump scares and there was one that was like, you know, made everybody in the cinema actually sort of like, you know, freak at, at the time because i think because it was so rare within the movie is that the bit where he's trying to take the book or copy the book yes yes yeah i'll come on to that in a minute yeah you're absolutely right there was a lot of well not a lot of go but when they actually did get go it was brutal spoiler alert for anybody yeah. listening you might want to skip this if you haven't seen the film there was a scene where banquet for these um two, you know two uh, old people and you got the sense that something was going down with some easy sense and then they sort of marched them up onto this sort of this hilltop it was it soon became clear that this was like a, how they sort of treat you know the, the elderly it's almost like a ritual suicide that, that they do and sort of one like basically just jumped off and like sort of smashed, smashed and died instantly and then another one didn't die right away, so someone had to like finish him off with a mallet to the head. It was brutal, you know. It, it was a really sort of you know gory film. I did feel there were a couple of scenes late on that just went on a, a, a too long. I mean, it is a very very long film. There, there were elements of the film Hostel that kept creeping in every now and again. I felt. Yeah, I know. Well, I know what you mean. Yeah, because in, in Hostel, that the whole thing is that that they're brought in by other people. To, to be tricked into that. Yeah, so I, I get where you're coming. I mean, I, I saw it more as like a Wicker Man type yeah, thing. Yeah, oh, oh, very very much so. He was heavily influenced by the, the Wicker Man. And there's two points I want to pick up on what you say. I mean, I did like the film. What you say about the sunlight is really good. And the moments of tension, two bits for me really worked. That beginning, the whole suicide thing at the beginning of the film, I thought was really good. And, and Florence Pugh is just incredible. Really great actress. But that sequence where we're talking about the older people and this whole business where you don't quite know what's going on. They have that last meal with them and you know something's going to happen and the tension is palpable and it just builds and builds and builds. And there's no jump cut, you know, there's no shock moment. There's a shock moment when they jump because you see them basically explode as a body would when they hit the rocks below, except the dickhead who decides to jump feet first, hence why the mallet is needed. But, that whole part and that tension is really good. So a film that goes against conventions of horror movies and doesn't use jump scares except in one very telling point, and i got to admit, and i got to agree with Darren, I was one of those that leapt out of my seat. And again, I would agree with Darren, it's far too long. 20 minutes of this could have been cut. He overplays his hand, I think, because it's so effective. And I feel, have you seen Us, Darren? Yes, yes, I have. Yeah. And, and to me, this plays like Us. Us had huge amounts of tension, and then as it goes on towards the end, it sort of loses it because it overplays this explanation it has to do and just spins it out to a level you're thinking, all that tension you've effectively built up, you've now lost. Yeah, I mean, like, like I say, t- towards the end, there the were the scenes that were basically sort of you know, dragging. And I think at the end, when it basically gets to the whole human sacrifice, kind of knew where it was heading. Where's in the Wicker Man when the, sort of, the whole thing with the Wicker? That happens really, really quickly. With, with this one, they, they really dragged with that. If they had got through that, you know, really quickly, that you know, that would have been a lot more effective. One of the things that I want to say as well is that the use of some of the camera shots to basically sort of make you feel sort of unease was great. I mean, there was a scene where they, they were sort of exploring the village, 
and the camera zo- zoomed in on them and they were sort of talking. And then one of them said, what's that over there? And then it switched to this like weird yellow triangular building. And then when it switched back to them, they were like really, really far away. And I love that when they basically play around with sort of cinema techniques to basically sort of create a mode. I've, I don't think I've seen a film like that for so long that was constantly keeping you from actually sort of like relaxing. I felt sort of ill at ease and it tends the entire film I was watching it. Which, which I found, you know, re- really powerful. It's certainly different. And as you say, it harks back to films like The Wicker Man and Blood and Satan's Claw. It has that sort of vibe about it. I didn't like Hereditary. Uh, I felt the ending just fell apart. And I was in a cinema where everybody, including myself, just collapsed with laughter at the ending. But this one is much, much more effective. And he's talking about stepping away from horror for his next film. So I'll be very interested to see where he goes. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing about these films is they're, they're not all-out horror anyway. In Hereditary, some of my, my favourite bits, in, and I was sort of like sort of mixed on it. I was slightly disappointed because it wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be. But mm. the, a lot of things that I liked in it was the whole family dynamic, you know, and, and there was a lot sort of in this. So, so it's, it's not just like, you know, horror movies. I, I, I'll be interested to see, you know, what he does actually next. Yeah, and all I would ask him to do is stop having old people take their clothes off, please. Because <laughs> I think yeah. we've done it twice now. We don't need to see it again. On that note, Darren, I think um, we both liked it, really. Yeah, I, I mean, I give, I give it a thumbs up. It's, I think it is a Marmite movie. I think it's going to be one of those that, uh, you know, some people are going to like really love. And I think others are basically going to say, you know, what the hell is that? I, I don't get it, you know. But, you know, yeah, I, I personally did enjoy it. Yeah, no, I think it's less Marmite than Hereditary. I think this is a much more accomplished bit of work. And that sequence in the middle with the old people, and you're not quite sure what's going on, is, I would say, one of the tensest sequences I've seen this year. For that alone, brilliant. Okay, and that was our review of Midsommar. <music> reviews by one of the team. Let's start with the film Apollo 11, which will be reviewed by Neil. Now, Apollo 11 is a documentary about the first mission to land on the moon. It's completely made from footage created at the time, some previously unreleased to the public. Neil, given this footage is 50 years old, is it still impressive? Yes, and then some. This is a stunning documentary of Apollo 11 50 years on. We all know what happens, but for some reason it's really tense. I'm not sure how. I mean, the footage of the spectators, including, I understand, Isaac Asimov and Johnny Carson, also unrestricted access to NASA footage, uh, control room, Apollo 11 footage. They had... 1,600 hours of footage they could use, some of it colour. And he had to make this this documentary. It really does build up the tension. It is superb. And it's pure sci-fi, the huge screen, volume turned up. It's a thriller. Uh, There's footage of the astronauts looking tense and excited, reports of their heart rate. one point, Buzz Aldrin is... his heart rate monitor stopped working. So he was um, told to adjust it, and he replies that he'll let them know if he dies. <laughs> <laughs> There's the music by Matt Morton is is very good. The footage, the clever editing by director Todd Douglas Miller, everything comes together, and it creates a film that 
this basically recreates that time 50 years ago we can all remember it and the hope and expectation of going to the moon and landing on it which is absolutely brilliant they have done a remarkable job and it's one of my films of the year i've got a question for you on this neil i went to a lecture a few years ago with a guy who produced another documentary about the apollo missions and one of the things he said about this period in the 60s it it was science fiction but science fact it was science fiction out mm. of time yeah. yeah does that come across in this film yeah the whole thing everything i mean it it does feel like a science fiction film it could be the rival 2001 a space odyssey in, in some parts it's really incredible it's it's up there with one of the best i've seen on that and it's almost it's i loved first man and i think it's as good as that but the, the first man was wasn't really was more about grief and not being able to come to terms with the death of his daughter but uh, it's it's amazing it's amazing what they've managed to do. It's unrestricted access. So this stuff hasn't been seen. And they've got stuff from spectators as well. And they're all sitting on their RVs with telescopes. It really builds up. And this is it is magnificent. I mean, I, I came out gushing and did tell you two to go and see it. Was there a nostalgic <laughs> element for you watching this film? Yes. Well, hugely. I mean, I was only young, but you two were a lot older, obviously. But the, <laughs> but the and and the build up, obviously, we didn't really get because it, it was the middle of the night. Yeah. You get the sense that the whole American people were watching, yeah. and the the people on this narrow split. It felt like a narrow spit of land where people were were parked up and uh, watching the whole thing from about two miles away. I think it was their view from it. It really was good. I'm still gushing about the film. You've sold it brilliant. to me, Neil. Yep, I You've see it on it the fr- I'm going to see Absolutely it on the 5th stunning. of August. Yeah, good. I'm already booked. Excellent. Okay, thank you for that. That's definitely one to watch. Graham, over to you for a review of Yesterday. So, in a world where the Beatles are forgotten, one man, Jack, Hamish Patel, knows all their songs and becomes an international sensation. From director Danny Boyle and writer Richard Curtis. So, Graham, does this romantic comedy work, or do you actually yearn for yesterday? Oh, it was very good. It's a feel-good movie, and it certainly felt good. I mean, Jack Malik as a frustrated musician from Lowestoft, whose musical career, just like living in Lowestoft, is going nowhere. It's a simple feel-good movie. It succeeded with me, as I felt great by the end credits. I liked almost everything about this movie, from the setup to the repercussions. Leading Man Patel is excellent, and he has the charm and comedic timing to carry off this rather bizarre film. I particularly liked his constant struggling to remember the words of Eleanor Rigby. It was just <laughs> great. It was great. Uh, me too. I mean, he played the slightly goofy, bumbling, jobbing musician excellently. Uh, Lily James, on the other hand, she was okay with what she was given. I felt that she spent most of the film as a very poor sidekick. I think she's great as an actress, loved her in Edgar Wright's Baby Driver, uh, and she starred in the National Theatre's All About Eve, but in this movie she's just wasted. There's a scene, one particular scene in the 
Liverpool train station where they felt like they tacked this scene on just to give her something to do. It's a real shame. But the supporting cast were all good. Loved Jack's family, particularly his dad and mum. It was just so well done. Of course, the music is the driving force of the movie. And whilst we all know that the Beatles could write a good song or two or a hundred, I was genuinely surprised by how well they worked when they were stripped down to just the basics of Jack and his guitar. I loved some of the gags in it. There was a great funny line about Oasis not existing because the Beatles didn't exist. And that just was... I think you may have to explain that for our younger listeners. Yeah, well, the, the Beatles Beatles were a popular beat combo from the sixties. <laughs> I think, and the Oasis copied them. Yeah, thank you for that. I didn't know that. My dad had mentioned the Beatles. Oh come on, ah, guys! Very yeah. good. Everybody knows who the Beatles are. I even liked Ed Sheeran, and there's a sentence I thought I'd never say. He was good in that Game of Thrones episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. Shocking. All in all, a cool concept, well executed, and super feel good. It's not going to win anything, but I had a blast and I'll be watching it again when it comes out on streaming. I thought it was great. A couple of questions for you then. I haven't seen it yet. So in this alternate reality, does Brexit happen? (laughs) No, because everybody looks cheerful. Are they? Oh, right. Okay. And I find it interesting. And again, I'm looking forward to watching this. The lead actor is called Hamish Patel. That must really hack off the Brexiteers then. It will hack them off because he's just really good and he's, it's very well racially integrated. So it's a multicultural Britain yeah. where people are happy. Yes. Screw you, Brexiteers. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Okay. On to another one I haven't seen, Anna, which Neil has seen. So Anna is a KGB assassin. Her latest assignment is undercover in Paris However, when the CIA find out who she is, Anna, played by Sasha Luss, becomes involved in a very dangerous game. Neil, did the latest from Luc Besson have all the tension and thrills we have come to expect from the maker of Leon? Well, I like Luc Besson films. Not all of them work. Some are brutally criticised, but I'm happy to give them benefit of the doubt. He likes his female assassins, Leon, Lucy, and now Anna. It's a Different setting, but the same real setup, really. An empowered young lady takes on all comers. Uh, Sasha Luce's Anna and Besson mixes up the present day with flashbacks to slowly reveal the truth. Helen Mirren is Anna's Russian handler. She's the standout performance. She's really good. As with all Luke Besson films, it looks good. And the f- music is good, provided by his longtime collaborators, Thierry Arbogast and Eric Serra. It's entertaining if you give it a chance. It's too easy to criticise, though, and that's the problem as with a lot of the films that are measured against Leon. He peaked too soon, really. Lucy came out five years ago, and it's, it's Lucy's way better than this, I'm afraid. Luke Besson's better than this. Yeah. I, Sasha Luce is very good. It's got lots of potential, but he's still living on Leon. I'm afraid he needs to move on. Do you believe that Luke Besson is treading on water at the moment? I don't know about treading on water. I think he's desperately trying to find something. I mean, Valerian didn't really work. He is very good at doing 
strong female characters. Mm. I don't know Treading Water. I don't think so. I think he's just desperately trying to find something that works, really, that they all seem not to. I think he tries too hard almost sometimes. Okay. Well, it's another one I quite fancy, I must admit. But mm, I, I think it's worth is seeing. It, but is it just another atomic blonde? It's know, a bit different. It, there, well, I suppose there's good twists in this one. All right. There are very good twists. It does swap around towards the okay. end, and that works well. It's just, you look at the critics' reviews and you think, oh, really? Yeah. Is it that bad? No. No, it isn't. And it's, it is worth a look, but it'll never win anything and it'll never be anybody's top ten films, I don't think. So uh, how was Welshman Luke Evans in this <laughs> film? <laughs> With him and Chillian Murphy um, as the CIA and KGB handlers in the film. Yeah, they, they were. It's a sort of... They, they both play nasty people. And she's kind of... It's, it, I won't tell you anything. But it it she works well between the two of them, and there is good stuff in there. But it's not, you know. Overall, I'm afraid it just doesn't work as well as it so should. Is this one worth for the cinema, or worth just waiting for home? Uh, wait for it at home. Okay, Thank it's you probably very much gone from the cinema anyway. Yeah, by now. I think it has actually. So we move on in our reviews, and this is one I thought we'd never cover, and. M, if you're listening, thank you very much for this because you persuaded <laughs> at least one of the two wusses. To I will it. see it, all right. Graham is about to review Cabin in the Woods. A group of teenagers go to a remote cabin in the woods where evil lies in wait. Think you know this story? Think again. Writer Joss Whedon and director Drew Goddard have come up with a fresh and original take on this horror trope. Graham, did Em's interview inspire you to give this a go? Well, yeah, she did, because, you know, she didn't lie to me like Jeff does. Oh, <laughs> it's, what? It's, Hang on a minute. It's a thriller. It's that's, a thriller. That's libelous. It's, it's, it's a, a comedy. comedy. <laughs> yes, it's a documentary. Honestly, there's nothing in it that there's would worry you. Yeah. Bloody hell. Yeah. yeah. So she did say it had some jump scares in it, and yes, it did have some jump scares in it, but generally, I thought it was very clever. It was a great setup, and I loved the ending. Did you watch this on your own, or did Pat watch it with no, you? No, I watched it on my own. Thank you very much. <laughs> in the middle of the day, was it? It was in the middle of the day, and, and she, <laughs> she might have come in and held my hand a few times. <laughs> the middle of the day don't work. Listen to our Midsummer review. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It was just very, very good. It was well put together. You know, you immediately think, because it starts from an odd position, you think, what the, hey, what's going on here? And it did actually build and build quite well. I thought this is very, very clever. It, it is scary. I mean, there are some scary bits in it. There is one scene where a decapitated head lands in somebody else's lap. And at that moment, I may have used the F word and M's name at the same sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But apart from that one, one, yeah, apart from that one, it was very, very good. I loved the ending, thought it was very clever. I just thought it was, yeah, very well put together. Yeah, I liked the reality TV moments and the ever-demanding fans with their absolute rigid tropes that the slut has to die first and Mm. the fool dies next and the hero has to die in a selfless act. All of the things from horror that 
you know, that scare the life out of me. They put them in the film, but they subverted the whole thing. And I thought it was just very clever. I mean, I haven't seen it for a few years now, but the opening caught me by surprise. It's guys around a water cooler having a drink and a chat. And you're thinking, this isn't the film that, yeah, yeah. it's called A Cabin in the Woods. Why are we in an office? Yeah. What's the point of this? And not with kids, with middle-aged men. Yeah, and then you see the kids getting together and it's the usual, you know, you've got the jock and you've got the girl and, and they set off in the in the RV and there's a guy watching them from the roof of their building with a pair of binoculars and he's radioing back to a central base and you think, what's going on here? And And even to the point that it subverts the horror cliché so that they're in the cabin... And they say, right, we've got to find out what's going on here because clearly there's some evil at work. Let's separate. And the guy says, well, no, no, we don't do that. That's ridiculous. Let's stick together and investigate. Yeah. And then where they're watching them say, oh, hang on, they're sussing this, release the gas. They release this gas there and he says, no, no, let's separate. We can cover more ground that way. Yeah. And How stupid. Yeah, yeah and, and, and all of that is brilliant. <laughs> and the descent into the underground where this cabin is. It's like a descent into hell. And I thought, again, that was really clever. You'd love it, Neil. Yes, well, I saw Into the Woods and that had a cabin in it. (laughs) Yeah, and singing. So, yeah, all in all, yeah, thanks, Em. That was a good recommendation. I did enjoy that. That was very fun. Great fun. Excellent. So let's stick now with Neil and something more to his liking, Men in Black International. No Tommy Lee Jones, no Will Smith this time. Men in Black International is set in the MIB London branch with a cast that includes Chris Hemsworth, Tessa Thompson and Liam Neeson. Other than that, is it still Men in Suits saving the world? Is it, Neil? Well, I thought I'd hate it and I didn't hate it. Tessa Thompson is easily the standout. Chris Hemsworth's okay. The two work together. Well, the there's a decent twist. There are funny moments. I did laugh several times. It all looks good, but there's so little substance that the A-list cast can get hold of. And there's loads of really good people in this, most of whom don't get anything. The plot's a bit silly and it's all pretty disappointing and forgettable. In fact, let's just move on. I don't think it warrants a lot of discussion. So... The thing with Men in Black for me is... I was going to discuss it. Yeah, I'm going to discuss <laughs> it. Go on. Yeah, I, I love the first film, but I felt it wrapped it all up, and yep. I've struggled yes. with the sequels ever since. Yes. And is this more of the same? Yeah, just another one. Yeah, and it's uh, after uh, whatever Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones have gone, and it's uh, it's the, they go to London, and I'm not sure a bridge... Gets destroyed. I mean, well, it can't I be a proper London movie. I think then. it does. It does. I think oh, it, they do destroy a bridge. Obviously, you're not selling it to me, Neil. It must be said. There were some funny moments. It's one of those films that you might put on on a Sunday evening when you're bored, and you think, "So it's a Let's Netflix have something one. to cheer me up." Uh, because a really crap movie. That's so when it comes down to watching Men in Black International or talking to the wife, which one will I? Get? Oh, I talk to Les all the time. Okay, fair enough. And I'm more than happy to talk to Les, so that's good. <laughs> that's okay. good then. Move on. Yeah, move on then. So that's the end of our reviews, but let's do a quick catch-up. Last month, Neil and I reviewed and both loved Toy Story 4. 
So in our catch-up section, we're now going to give a brief opportunity to Graham to do a catch-up on Toy Story 4. What do you think? Oh, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I thought, oh, this will be good because you've both recommended it. It was even better. I was just blown away. It's so good. It's so good. The cinema I saw it was packed with kids and they were watching a completely different movie to me. Yes. I was watching... Except for Duke Kaboom. Duke Kaboom. Yeah, Duke Kaboom. <laughs> yeah. It was just <laughs> great. How they got two separate films to actually meld together yeah. so well is just great. There were so many things I loved about it. I loved the inner voice thing. That was just one of the funniest running gags I've yeah. ever seen. I loved the fact that Woody finally gets his happy ending and gets to move on and he's not just constantly looking after the kids, really, as it is, yeah. and that Buzz Lightyear and Jesse get their grown-up story as well. It was just so wonderfully done. Yeah, real, real clever end. Well, is that the end now? Are they going to do Toy Story 5? No, I believe that's the end, but who knows, knows? as as Neil says. Okay, let's do a wrap-up on our films of the month. Neil, what's your film of the month? Uh, Apollo 11, comfortably. Graham? Spider-Man Far From Home. But as I'm seeing Apollo 11 on the 5th of August, that'll probably be my film for next month. <laughs> so it's Spider-Man then, really, isn't it, Grant? Yeah. Okay, that's fair enough. You're just covering up the fact that you picked Spider-Man by trying to deflect me to look at something in August. Okay, for me, Midsummer. Yeah, definitely. is right in your wheelhouse, isn't it? Yeah. From the latest reviews, let's go to what is opening in UK cinemas over the next couple of months. We caught up with our friend, Cine World Manager Steve Wright, for the latest. OK, Jeff, over to you. Hello from your At The Flicks team. After a longer gap than usual, my fault, we return to our local Cine World Cinema for another chat about what is upcoming with Cine World Manager Steve. Hi, Steve. Welcome back to the show. It's good to be back. Nice to see you guys. So you still enjoying the new role? Loving it. Yeah, it's really ramped up the amount that I've got at the moment going on. They say a successful summer season tests every cinema manager. With the films you've got, you must be well and truly tested this year. I, I think it is going to be a huge test. I didn't think it could get any worse than Endgame, which was insane. But looking at the slate over the summer, Spider-Man Far From Home. I can see that as a billion dollar owner. Yeah, I think that's going to be, you know, everyone wants to know how Phase 4 is going to begin. be quite interesting to see how they do it. Everything I've seen trailers-wise, I, I love it. I've actually just gone out and sad of me. I know I've actually got a Spider-Man costume. That so gonna... Graham. He's ready for the opening <laughs> night. <laughs> so we're, we're going to use all of that for our promotional stuff. So we're looking forward to having a bit of fun around that film. There's some big kids films as well coming out. We've got Queen's Corgi. I, I love the look of this. I think it looks really fun. I think off the back of Secret Life of Pets 1 and 2, this looks along the same vein. And I Have think... you seen the trailer? I've seen little snippets, but I've not seen the full trailer yet. It looks hilarious. I was amazed that they've got Trump in the trailer. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. maybe <laughs> Sorry, yeah, OK, I've killed it now. Yeah. <laughs> but it's from the makers of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, and, and those films were great. They had the adult humour in there as well as the humour for the kids. I think this will be exactly the same. It's going to be a big family film. It's been a big summer for animated films. I mean, you've already had Toy Story 4, which has done really well. See the, yeah. the Queen's Corgi. Then you've got films like Angry Birds 2. 
And, and what's this thing called Ugly Dolls, which is another animated film? We got the distributors came in and spoke to us about it last week. It's one I need to look more into. I don't think we'll get it here in Cheltenham. I don't really know enough about it to, to be able to talk about it. One I do know a lot about, though, and I'm absolutely bricking it for when it comes out because I know it's going to be busy, Lion King. Mm. This yeah. is going to be huge. We are already on sale with tickets. A lot of the show-ins, we're adding extras. It's going to pull in fans of the original animated film. It's going to bring in new generation that are going to probably fall in love with it off the back of The Jungle Book. Apparently, it's sticking with the original soundtrack for it with a couple of new original songs okay. from Beyonce in there. It still might end up surpassing Endgame, but I, I can't see it happening after what that did. Still going to be over a billion. Oh, yeah, easily. And that one for us comes out 19th of July. I'm with you. I think that's going to be tremendous. The voice cast, I mean, you've got people like John Oliver in there. Yeah. Um, great to see James Earl Jones back as well, playing the same character. Yeah, I don't think they could have put anyone else in he's got such a distinct voice it just would have been weird it's already going to be strange enough having other voices in there but uh i think everyone they've got in there's some real big names uh, and I think what's interesting is Aladdin had such negative mm. press before it came, before anybody even seen it. And it's still really good film. It's defied expectations. Lion King is getting really good buzz. So I think that one, as you say, is yeah. going to go through the roof. Like I say, with Aladdin, we've still got showings going on now, which considering how much it was hammered before it had even yeah. come out. And it was all revolved around, I think, the genie yeah. and Will Smith being the genie and everyone associating that role with Robin Williams. Whoever in Disney came up with this idea of let's turn some of our animated features into lives or CGI films, uh, I hope they're getting a good pension, that's all I can well, say. I can imagine they will be. Uh, there's a lot more rumoured for 2020, 2021. What else you got there, Steve? So, coming early August, we've got Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. Another billion dollar earner, I think. Yeah, and, and Idris Elba in there as the villain as well, and he does a good villain. He looks very good as the villain. I, I love Idris Elba. I was rooting for him for the next Bond, but we'll see how that one goes. But he looks fantastic in this. The comedy comes from Statham and The Rock, whereas he brings the more serious, and he's a badass in this. Yeah. He looks seriously tough. And then a week later, one for the kids uh, off the back of the Lego movies doing so well, Playmobil have jumped on board and made their own version. Okay. Uh, I don't really know too much about the storyline with this and how it's going to work. I don't know. We'll ask our Playmobil expert. Neil, what's it like? What, Playmobil? Yeah. It's really small children. Uh, okay. I rest my case. Uh, there we go. As you are fully aware. <laughs> <laughs> but just going back there's there's one i've seen a number of interviews for already and they're really pushing it hmm. horrible histories the movie my kids were obsessed with the tv show how they're gonna sort of transfer the tv series and the books over to a full-length feature film i don't know i hope they stick to the actual getting learning across to young children rather than making it into a film and just dropping the odd fact in here and there. What else we got, Steve? The one that everyone seems to be talking about, whether it's the good, the bad, or the ugly of it, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that comes out 14th of August. It was 
being billed as a shoo-in for the at the Cannes Film Festival, taking the top award for that, and I actually got beat out. I'm, I'm not too sure how happy Mr Tarantino is about that. He wasn't happy in his interviews. I, I'm still excited for it, but I think this looks brilliant. All of his films are different to the general crap that gets thrown out yeah. all the time. It gives us something new. He's got quite a strong cast again. Very strong cast. And the, have you seen the trailers? I've seen the short teaser sort of trailer. I've, I know the full-length one came out a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to see that one yet. It's, it's got a real sort of 60s buzz. And again, I grew up in the 60s, so you have the TV, uh, certainly a lot of American shows that you get, and it's got that sort of vibe to it. My only worry is it's touching on the Sharon Tate murder. He's got to be really careful how he plays it. Now, I've heard from people that were there at Cannes that he tones that down, and if he does, then, yeah, that, that'll be good. I'll definitely see it. And then a week after that, we've got Angel Has Fallen. Oh, Graham's film of the summer. Get lost. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I haven't even watched the other two. I, I've got them both on Blu-ray if ever you want to watch right. them. Yeah, I think I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got... Crawl on your list? I have not, no. Uh, so, not one that I've heard of. Right, so they're sneaking this one in at the very end of August at the moment. So this is only just breaking at the moment. It's essentially one of these disaster-type movies right? where uh, Florida's hit by a massive storm and it's starting to flood. People are trapped in the house and the alligators are outside. Right. Sounds, sounds great. Okay. Neil, Neil and Graham, they're keen. I sold it to them this morning and uh, I think... Uh, yeah, that would be the perfect end to the summer. So that's a strong lineup for the summer. Really strong. And then it carries on sort of into September, October. So September, one certainly for you, gents, uh, it chapter two. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Looking yeah. at the sixth yeah. of September. And and the adult cast, you've got Jessica Chastain, Bill Hader, who's having big success on TV with Barry. You've got James McAvoy. Well, the first one was the most successful King film ever. I think this will overtake it. Week after that, uh, the film I'm so very thrilled about, Downton Abbey. In fact, so thrilled, uh, any listeners want to check out our website, you'll see some pictures of Steve with a poster of it right behind him. Never seen a TV show. Not really my cup of tea when it comes to the film. However... Because it's filmed locally, we are hoping to get some kind of event around it, whether that be a regional premiere, maybe even the actual premiere. We're pushing for it. Let's see what we can do. Why not? So so essentially, you're going to start your summer dressed in a Spider-Man costume and end it in a dinner jacket. Yeah. Result. So no, great uh, line. And matching the films, you've got, again... The one-day special events. There's specials, there's live events. I mean, I want to start with the specials because for me there's three massive, massive specials that Cineworld are going to be showing over the next few months. So we've got Jaws coming up mid-July. Then some of our cinemas, not all of them, are getting the 20th anniversary of The Matrix. 20 years. How insane is that? 4K as well. And yet they are bringing it into 4K and that is the same day as Jaws. And then I know it's definitely coming to Cheltenham and a few other cinemas. Apocalypse Now in IMAX. And that's the final cut. So it's not a version that's been seen before. It is the final cut. And then I believe there's a Q&A afterwards. I'm not sure who that's mm. with. Before we then run into the live events, for the 
fans of opera, we've got Pavarotti. Oh, the man Neil models himself over. Um, <laughs> that one's coming <laughs> mid-July. Uh, and there's a Q&A after that as well. Again, I'm not sure who with because... I might be wrong. I'm pretty sure Pavarotti died, right? He did, yeah. yeah. So I was like, how can they do a live Q&A? If through a medium. Dead, yeah. Ah, right, okay. Yeah. He's that... a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> He's not a medium. <laughs> Certainly not a medium. Um, then there's the Barber of Seville. That's the day after the Pavarotti, actually. Magic Flute from Glimborn as well. That's early August. And then the big one especially for us is the Andre Rue. Concert 2019 Mastery, didn't it? Yes, um, and that is so big that we'll have it on the 27th and 28th of wow. July, and guarantee we'll open multiple screens, it'll sell out, people will flock to it, they always do. This is interesting because we've just done a, a pod short on cinema versus streaming, looking at what Netflix are doing against cinema. Yeah. And one thing you can't replicate in these live events you've got the full size cinema screen, you've got the sound. And it is live. And Netflix can't replicate this. No, I mean, even the the companies that release these live events, the Royal Shakespeare Company or Royal Opera House or whoever it is, they've tried to do streaming through their website like a subscription thing. And that had a little bit of uptake for people watching at home, but you're never going to get the sound system or the big screen feel of the cinema. Any unlimited screenings over the summer? None that I'm aware of at the moment. We've just had Yesterday, which did very well. I think this film could be a little bit of a dark horse. Yeah. I don't think ever, anyone's kind of pitched this as doing big yeah. numbers, but it is going to... I can see this being creeping into the top ten films yeah. for the year quite easily for us. Yeah. But again, <laughs> like I say, with Yesterday, it's it's not out for a couple more weeks yet to general public, but once that comes out, I think it's going to do really well, particularly off of all of these sort of music-based films that have been coming out recently. So obviously there was Bohemian Rhapsody, did very, very well, Rocket Man, which I adored that film. I yeah. thought that was yeah, fantastic. Too. I think this will go down the same vein. The unfortunate thing for me is other bands that should just go away, have jumped in on the bandwagon. The guy that did the scripts, or was involved in the scripts of both Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man, is currently working on one uh, about John Lennon. Right, yeah, I can see that working. Yeah. Um, there's, yeah, that one I would go and watch. So, full lineup, a real trial by fire for you there, and on top of that... You're about to start your charity events of the year. Uh, yeah, it's just kicking off for the Children in Need events. My team are doing a lot of little things, bake sales and various different bits in cinema. Um, we've got various dress-up um, sort of people coming in for Frozen and films like this so that the kids can have a photo opportunity to raise a bit more money, Lucky Dips, all of that kind of stuff. I didn't think I could outdo my stupidity of last year getting a tattoo done that my staff designed for me. Turns out I absolutely can. Myself and my regional manager and possibly a couple of other general managers from within our region, we've agreed to go and do something that scares the living daylights out of me. As we've talked about before, I'm scared to death of sharks. I hate them. Can't even watch them on TV and I panic. Me and my regional manager are going swimming with sharks off the coast of Newquay. Yeah. Do you enjoy that? 
Yeah, I'm, it's been lovely knowing you guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so. if we could get the money together for you, I could arrange, we can do the same thing, but with great whites off the coast of uh, yeah. Cape Town. No, I'm good. <laughs> I'll go to Cape Town happily. Great whites, no thank you. No. Although... My uh, my regional manager, he was telling me a bit more about it. And yes, there are sharks out there with big teeth that can bite you. Um, but apparently, the time of year we're going, there have been great whites that have been seen out there. Oh, so I'm like, brilliant. We'll see how it goes. Use myself as bait. Is that why you're watching Jaws this summer, for tips? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Try and figure out what I need to do. So gas canisters. <laughs> big, big fishing rod. Yeah, I think I might just about survive appreciate your push for time final question for you how's your podcast going it's going really well we've ramped things up quite considerably over the last couple of months we're now on itunes and spotify if you just search right on the mic you'll be able to find us through that we've just kind of divvied out the workload because in the beginning it was kind of me collating everything getting everything together and pushing it out so there's now three of us we're really enjoying it and our next one's due out at uh, end of July. So, right on the mic podcast. Right on the mic podcast, yeah. Excellent. Right, Steve, appreciate your time. and look forward to catching up with you in a couple more weeks' time. Yeah. Uh, find out what we got going into the autumn. And, of course, by that time, Graham and Neil will talk about It Chapter 2. <laughs> Looking forward to it. <laughs> How we didn't go. Yeah. Thanks. Cheers. Thank, Thank you. you. Cheers. Some fantastic films there. Well, as long as you don't count Angel Has Fallen. Thanks, Steve. A great guy who also has a fun and entertaining podcast, which is worth checking out. The details can be found in our show notes. I think that just about wraps it up for this month. As for next month, Neil will share his thoughts on some foreign language films that are well worth checking out. An interview with director and all-round film guy Theo Hogben. A discussion with Phil Foster on who we think are the standout actors of this generation. Plenty of reviews and the return of Deck with his streaming picks for the end of the month show. So, gentlemen, I can safely announce that's a wrap and another At The Flicks is in the can. Hang on, before we finish, let's go back to that new interview technique. Jeff, is it true that the Barbie movie is one of your most anticipated films of next year? <laughs> is that the time? I, I'd love to answer that, but I've got to go. Bye. You can run, Jeff, but you can't hide. And to everyone else, thanks, thanks for, for listening, listening and, and goodbye. goodbye. That's a wrap. To make sure you never miss an episode of this podcast, please subscribe to At The Flicks at our website, attheflicks.uk. And if possible, please remember to rate and review At The Flicks wherever you get your podcasts. You can contact the team on Twitter or by email. Our contact details are also on our website, attheflicks.uk. Thanks for listening.